This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Millstone Manor Mousetraps. Uh, Je- Mr. Jeff, I, I apologize. We, um, uh, we're getting a Morse code message from Gladys. Gladys? What's, what are you trying to tell us, Gladys? Uh, there's someone at the front door. Were you expecting company at uh, the recording compound? No, I'm not expecting any of our visitors, and all of our interns have signed in for the day, so I can't imagine who else it's would be very visiting. Good. Well, let's just... Mr. Bill, Mr. Bill, can you go and, and see who's at the front door? Well, my goodness. Um, it, it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here at the Northern Mississippi Recording Compound, it's no other than the fabulous Ms. Joanne Haywood. Hello, Ms. Joanne Haywood. Hello, Mr. Brandon, and hello, Mr. Jeff. Oh, well, I just saw your sign and I had to pop oh, in. Oh, my goodness. Well, you must be on holiday <laughs> here in beautiful northern Mississippi, and you must have seen our our sign advertising where the Are You Being Served podcast. How nice of you to stop by. Absolutely. <laughs> How could I resist? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, we we are very proud to have Ms. Joanne Haywood uh, joining us for some fun conversation. And uh, so thank you for coming all the way to northern Mississippi to view... Um, Elvis's, Elvis Presley's birthplace is very nice, so you'll have to go see that. <laughs> yes. Graceland is just over in Memphis, so that's a nice tourist spot. So, so yeah, so thanks for taking the time to, to meet with us. And I have to ask, Ms. Haywood, are you free? I'm free. Oh, <laughs> very nice. Okay, my goodness. Well, we have to... Um, we have some questions, and I'm sure our, our unanimous listeners of the podcast um, would love for us to ask you, how often do you watch Are You Being Served? Please tell us you're a fan. We hope you are. Of course. I have to have a little fix every day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So um, I, I would love to just kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit about um, Are You Being Served? You know, we're obviously super fans, and the people who listen to the podcast are quite uh, exuberant about mm-hmm. their love of the show. Uh, but most of the folks in the listenership and Mr. Jeff and I are Americans. So sometimes it's a little tricky to kind of understand maybe how big was Are You Being Served when it originally aired and, you know, grace and favor, Are You Being Served Again? Was it as big as we think it was? Because our entire <laughs> life revolves around the show. So it's a little hard for us to give to have perspective, I think. Sure. Well, I think when it was originally on, it was it was huge. I mean, I think back in those days there were less TV channels. Oh yeah. So the viewing figures were in the in the millions for programs. You know, it was it was a hugely successful program for. I don't know. I may be saying the wrong thing, but I think it was about ten or twelve years. Yeah. That it did, and then unfortunately, sort of comedy fashions change, and I think people got a little snobby about it, maybe, yeah. and it wasn't quite the the sort of comedy that they were wanting, but. With Grace and Favour, that was what we were up against, I think, here in the BBC, because I know it was much more popular in the States than it was here, oh, sadly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, which is why we only got to do the two series. It didn't get commissioned again, <sighs> which is really sad, um, because I think there was a lot more, you know, room to go with it. Oh, it's killing but me I'm a little bit. I'm just obviously a little teeny tiny bit biased. <laughs> Absolutely. You'd be surprised at the fan fiction that our fans are writing about where they think that the Miss Lovelock and the Mavis Moulter characters might oh be going God. after this. So, um, so how did your knowledge of the original show or your experience watching the original show inform any of your character choices for Miss Lovelock? Um, 
I don't know whether it did. I mean, obviously I'd watched it and loved it, but then once I got the script, I think it, Miss Lovelock just came off the page. Their writing is so good. It's sort of a bit like no acting required, really. You know, it's sort of every, everything's there. Um, I knew right from the off that she had horses and rode a motorbike. In fact, I was a little bit naughty. I wore jodhpurs to the audition. <laughs> and they always say that actors will lie. You know, if you say, can you horse ride, they say yes. But I do have a little guilt thing that I'm not supposed to tell a lie. So actually, oh. when, when they said, do you ride... They actually they went, oh, you ride. So they didn't ask, do you? Because I'd got the jodhpurs on. They went, oh, you ride, and I just went, ha, ha, ha. yeah. I didn't say yes. I just laughed. I just Those laughed. are the trousers for for riding horses, right? Jumpers. That's the technical name oh, for okay. the trousers. Hmm. So when I when I then got the job, I was honest. I said to them, look, I actually have never ridden a horse because I trained as a dancer when I was young, and you tend to, if you dance, you tend to not ride horses. You develop mm. different muscles. So if you're going to be serious. You, but I knew I was also supposed to ride the motorbike. Oh, yes. So I did say to them, I said, look, you know, I've arranged horse riding lessons, but I'm not quite sure what to do about the bike. And they oh, said, smart. there is no way we're letting you on the back of a bike. <laughs> You'll have a stunt double. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I had a wonderful stunt man called Roy Alon who had to dress up as me um, and wear a nice curly wig. I've got photos of us side by side. <laughs> And I was thinking, you know, the audience are going to know. And this is a man, he's physically much bigger than mm. me, but they are so clever in the edit. You know, there's only one shot where I think, and it's when he kicks the bike stand away, and I think that should have been my foot, which was a little more dainty <laughs> than his. Everyone's <laughs> going to go to Britbox and freeze frame that yeah, scene and, now. And look, but all the rest of it, it's so clever. Yes. I, so clever. I did not pick up on it in the motorcycle scenes at all. So, yeah, no, kudos to the, the editing but, team. Yeah, they're brilliant. But for the horse riding, I think I'd managed to squeeze in seven lessons before we started filming. Wow. And, of course, it worked out that one of the first scenes we're going to shoot. So here I am coming onto a, a series where everybody's already famous. Yeah. I mean, it's Are You yeah. Being Served by Any Other Name. It's daunting. I'm doing my very first scenes as Miss Lovelock, it would have been so nice to have got a few out of the way with nothing to worry about. But no, obviously having the horses is expensive. Mm. So what's the first, very first scenes they shot were all the scenes <laughs> with the horses to get no it out pressure. of the way. So I went to find the groom and I was honest. I said, look, you know, I've, I've literally had seven lessons. And she said, don't worry, these horses have done so much filming. They'll just go on action. You know, they, they know what they're doing. Really? Um, and they did, except <laughs> I did feel like I was very upstaged by that because I was so nervous. <laughs> and my leg, my legs were trembling like mad. Mm. And I don't know if you know anything about horse rising, but some of the things you squeezed to, to, to get them to go backwards mm -hmm. and things. So they're, But, of course, I think I was giving confusing signals to this horse. <laughs> Your legs were shaking <laughs> so much the horse didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And it, he made me look much more competent because he was sort of tossing his head around. And he obviously to himself thought, oh, for goodness sake. And he, he didn't do a spectacular bolt. He just wandered slowly off up the lane. But he's stronger than me, so I couldn't physically <laughs> stop him. Uh, the lovely Frank, as Captain Peacock, had a line to say, um, will you be following the hunt this afternoon, Miss Lovelock? And, I, and as I was disappearing up the lane, he went, yes, I suspect you probably will. <laughs> he, so that was ad-libbed, <laughs> that wasn't in the script. That didn't end up in the actual episode, but it is in an outtake. Ah. I have outtakes, which I'll have to try and find a way to share Oh, with that you. would be so, so much fun. How come? Uh, 
Yes. And then there was another beautiful grey called Sally and I had a scene with her in a stable. Mm -hmm. And they say don't work with animals and children, don't they? <laughs> and they'd lined all the everything up and the lights were there just to hit me in the right place and it was all perfect. And the minute they said action, she just leant on me a little <laughs> bit. And of course she's a big heavy horse. Right. So she nudged me into the darkness and she tossed her mane. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. <laughs> yeah, Stealing the spotlight. Uh, yeah. There's one in every crowd. I swear. So, um, my goodness, I'm thinking, um, so there's this whole group of folks who actually prefer Grace and Favor, Are You Being Served Again, over the original series. Whether that is sacrilege or not, we will let you debate it, listeners. It's not for us to say which is our favorite. Um, for I, From my perspective, it's all canon, and it's all Lloyd and Croft, and they, they touched the series. They had a, lots of different people involved. But... Um, I wanted to ask, so you mentioned that all of the other folks, you were, it was yourself, Flora Bennett, and Billy Burden, and I Billy. think, yes. Yeah, the, you, the three of us. The, the only three recurring we were characters that were new, <laughs> and everyone else was, you know, fairly well known. Was that intimidating, or was it lovely? How was um, that? Initially intimidating to walk in on that first day. Yes, I can imagine. Um, and obviously they had friendships that they'd formed for years, you know, working together as closely as they had. Yeah. So it did it did feel a little bit like hovering on the outside edge initially, mm -hmm. but they were such wonderful, wonderful human beings that, oh, I mean, you know, Molly was just adorable and a complete giggler. <laughs> um, again, we've got fabulous outtakes with Molly. Frank was wonderful. I had most of my scenes with him, really. Yeah. So I guess like Fleur got a lot with John right. and I got a lot with Frank, although I did get some lovely moments with John. We had the pas de deux together, <laughs> <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, where he had a lovely cod piece. Um, <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just... <laughs> That has to be in a museum yeah, somewhere, a I hope. Thing, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. So, yeah, daunting. Um, but then in event, I think also with probably with the way it was being marketed, we had to keep reminding them that it wasn't, are you being served anymore? So it wasn't us as the newbies and them mm, as the originals. Right. It was now Grace and Favour and we were all regular cast yeah. now, you know. So, but that's all down to marketing and how they promote the show, I suppose. It's interesting you say that because as, as each one of our podcast episodes, we look at each of the, sh the original episodes of the original series and then the, the sequel. And we kind of talk about maybe the jokes that we Americans might not get. You know, what is Vim? <laughs> we don't know. You know, these different things. And, um, but we have noticed as we've gone through the first season of Grace and Favor, and we're maybe on episode four or five of the second season, there's not that many episodes left. And we, Mr. Jeff and I have noticed <laughs> as the episodes progress, um, it seems to be more and more focus on the new cast members rather than the folks who, the legacy members. And that's what's so frustrating is that there was no third season. You know, your character, we could have seen so much more development and, and the other two folks too. So we've, we've noticed that, you know, the storytelling just ended, which is unfortunate. But Yeah, it was. And I think also um, the, the writers were maybe being reined in a little mm. in terms of the jokes because what they could get away with at the BBC in the 70s or whenever it mm. was that I being served went down, <laughs> there was a lot more, although we weren't quite so far down the line of political correctness, obviously um, Mrs Slocum's pussy yeah, <laughs> <my God>. jokes... <laughs> And I only know this because Molly said the sort of things she could say in Are You Being Served were much more risque yeah. 
than what she could say. Absolutely. I'm not going to repeat them now because it wouldn't be appropriate. I still blush whenever we say the word and I always talk about a cat immediately after. Um, no. So a lot, we, we've heard from the lore um, of the show that if there was going to be a third season or a third series, that the relationship between uh, Mavis and Mr. Humphreys was going to get explored a little bit further. You know, we've already seen that. They think of each other as brother and sister, but maybe that might have changed. Um, two, so a two-parter question. What do you think the future might have been for Miss Lovelock and Captain Peacock? Mm. And whatever happened to Mrs. Peacock? <laughs> oh. you know, both. Somehow you would know, know this. <laughs> um, I think, sadly, it was mostly in Captain Peacock's mind. I think... Yeah. Miss Lovelock was terribly impressed with all his stories of his daring do, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think, well, I've forgotten. I've, you probably remember the lines better than me. I know there was some sort of quite little poignant moments where he'd be telling her a story of something he'd done and she'd seem like he was ter she was terribly impressed right. and then maybe refer to, oh, yes, my grandfather fought in the same war yeah, or something, yeah. just to, like really, really deflate his ego at the guy. last oh. moment. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I don't think. I'm sorry, Mr. Jeff, but I don't think there would have been a romance. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh, sorry, you know wow. this. Lovely as Captain Peacock was. <laughs> now you've been acting, Joanne. Um, I think for for a good chunk of your career. Just a couple of years. Just a couple of years. <laughs> uh, Just you know. a couple of years. Uh, but uh, Grace and Favor. Uh, I remember reading an interview somewhere where you said it was one of your sort of maybe first sort of roles, maybe not too many prior to that. But I found that you were involved in Roy. Clark's First of the Summer Wine, which is another great comedy that's very popular. Um, maybe not so much to Americans, because I don't know if it's ever been on television in the States. But could you tell us, like, what was that series about? Oh, that was wonderful. And in actual fact, I, just sort of slightly going back before then, mm. I trained in musical theatre. Musicals was my first love, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. Cool. And I was really lucky, and within six months of leaving drama school, I was in a musical in the West End. So I wow. had this thing of, well, I've, I've made it, I've done, you know, I'm here where I wanted to be, and I just thought that would be it now. Which musical was that? I'm and curious. It was High Society. High Society. Oh, okay. So, I've not seen yeah. it, but it sounds rather posh. Well, you know the <laughs> film with Grace Kelly and, um, I, I want to say Frank Sinatra, I hope I've got the right person. So it's based uh -huh. on the Philadelphia Story script. Oh. It's got Cole Porter music. It's beautiful. That sounds wonderful. You know who wants to be a millionaire? Do you know that one? Who wants to be a millionaire? She can sing, I ladies don't. and gentlemen. My <laughs> You'd know the music. Probably, Anyway, yeah. that's the show I was oh, in. Oh, good. And a, a chance conversation in the dressing room. One of the girls had the stage newspaper, so I'm giving my age away now because that was how you found out about <laughs> auditions back in the day. We understand the and timeline. She... We, we are members of that <laughs> as well. <laughs> So she had the stage and she said, oh, the BBC are looking for new act, um, young actors and actresses for a new TV series. It didn't say what it was. Mm. Oh, that was it. Authentic Yorkshire. I have to get this right. It was Authentic Yorkshire Actors and Actresses. Okay. And I very naively said, well, how many Yorkshire actresses? How many Yorkshire actresses has my agent got, for goodness sake? Surely <laughs> you put me e up by gum. E by e gum. E by gum. Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully, I didn't just leave it at that. I rang my agent. They hadn't put me up for it. So they then did put me up for it, mm -hmm. and it was a bit like Are You Being Served was the um, sequel to, sorry, Grace and Favour was the sequel to Are You Being Served. Right. 
First of the Summer Wine was a prequel to a very long-running series here called Last of the Summer Wine. So Last of the Summer Wine has gone on and on and on for decades. Oh, wow. And it's set in the current time. It has finally finished because, sadly, a little like I being served most of the lovely the original, in it yeah. with is no more. Mm. Um, so they had this wonderful idea to do First of the Summer Wine, use those same characters, set it in 1939. So it started in May 1939 and ran through to September 1939, which, of course, was the outbreak of war. Mm. So we were all the young versions of these very well-loved characters. That's amazing. Um, And luckily, because my agent didn't really know any of the characters, apart from Nora Batty, who is a famous battle axe in Mm. Last of the Summer Wine, Mm. he put me up for the young Nora Batty. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I did think, I'm not quite sure whether I'm right casting for Nora. (laughs) Plus, at that point, I'd done one episode of a TV comedy called... Um, brushstroke, so I didn't have a big CV in terms of television right. work, so I didn't expect to go in and get a lead role. I also didn't want to go in talking really broad Yorkshire because <laughs> I didn't expect to get the role and I didn't want to limit myself. Yeah. So then when I met the director, he said, oh, in the pilot they were keeping it a secret which one was Nora because obviously all the audience who loved Last of the Summer Wine wanted to know who, who, who Nora was. Who is it? Was. Who is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they kept it a secret so she didn't really have any dialogue so he said I can't ask you to read because she doesn't really say anything in the pilot and I said oh I was really hoping to read for you but so he said oh there's another character called Dillis who isn't in Last of the Summer Wine Um, why don't you read for her so I read for Dillis which was wonderful because it meant I didn't have to be somebody that was already established I could make her my own Um, and I got to do that for two series and it was just an absolute joy. So it's set in the 1930s, wonderful costumes, all filmed in the beautiful Yorkshire countryside. Uh And really sadly, the last episode was Dillis's wedding. I have to say it wasn't a white wedding. She was a naughty girl. Um, And she was marrying a a young RAF officer and because that was the outbreak of war, he got a telegram at the wedding reception calling him up. So it ended with him going off to war, and a little bit like Grace and Favor, we didn't get another series. So I don't know. What a cliffhanger! Did he come back from the war, and uh. did I have a boy or a girl? And I had all these excited things of, oh, I'll be in the Land Army, you know. And, and I do think that Roy Clark did have ideas for a third series, but sadly, again. Uh. It didn't get commissioned. So that's happened to be twice now. <laughs> well, you know, that's, I mean, I've not seen first or last of the Summer Wine, and I feel like it's a grievous sin. So BBC, NTV, <laughs> I apologize. Um, I assume it was BBC, but um, we've yes, actually yeah. turned a lot of our listeners on to um, other, other shows, other television shows that we love, Mr. Jeff and I. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, um, Ab Fab, Gavin and Stacey, apart from the Lloyd and oh, Croft like, ones. So yeah. you're liking the more recent modern ones as well? Yeah, you know, we, we're seeing that within our within the, the universe of the unanimous, uh, Ab Fab, Gavin, <laughs> Stacey, um, Catherine Tate Show are some of the favorite modern hits that um, yes. people ask us about and ask us, well, will you cover it? Will you do a couple of episodes of that? But uh, we're, you know, we've been sticking to the classics so far. So Gavin and Stacey is directed by fabulous Chris Gernon. And she was actually um, an assistant on Grace of Favor. Oh, <laughs> so excellent. I met Chris all those years ago and she's gone on to have a fabulous career directing. Nice. Um, something I'd love to ask you, uh, Joanne, is when you were filming um, the the manor, the Millstone Manor set, and you had that lovely, yes. I don't know if you call it the front room, the lobby, whatever, the, the grand hall, 
Um, uh-huh. Where was that filmed? And then we know that we we've we've studied we've studied the hell out of the the, the grade listed house <laughs> where the the exterior shots were were shot. Chaffinage House, yes, that's a stunning building. And so all the location was down in um, Gloucestershire, where Chaffinage Hall is, that was used as Millstone Manor. Uh-huh. So all the exterior shots were filmed first, and then uh-huh. we came back to London and we went to what the old fabulous BBC um, television centre that sadly is no more. No, a, a condominiums, um, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> and that was a, a cracking place. And we, we, we rehearsed during the week. Mm-hmm. And we would then go in. I think it was shot on a Saturday evening with a studio audit. So we'd go in in the morning, do a rehearsal. And then in the afternoon, we'd do a camera rehearsal in costume. And then in the evening, the studio audience would come in. So then any of the exterior shots they would see on the screen. So the whole programme would run in sequence oh, with oh, us cool. cutting, cutting from the screen. So it was never canned laughter. It was always real, genuine audience laughter. So they'd see the location stuff and then they'd look straight back to the studio floor for the live oh, that's cool. interiors. Wow. So generally, this, the main big set would be that, that open lobby area with the stairs going out and then off to the side would maybe be the kitchen or the bedrooms or whatever, depending on the episode. Oh, to have been a fly on that wall. Oh. <laughs> Oh, it's so good to film with a studio audience. You have a warm-up man in first, you know, sort of to get them all laughing and let them know they can laugh. And, and then they introduce the characters one by one. So, of course, you know, John and Wendy and Molly. Coming oh, out. my but God. You did feel a little bit, um, and here's me, because especially on series one, nobody knew who we were, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I well. think probably some people knew who Billy was, because Billy had had a big career before. Yeah. Um, but they certainly wouldn't have known who Fleur and I were wandering in at the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, my goodness. Um, something that would be really interesting is, you know, if, you, if you've done the musical theatre, um, maybe we have some listeners who have thought about going down that road as well. So what is it like being on stage versus a television soundstage? How, how different is that? Very different. Um, in Again, giving my age away, when I was at drama school, <laughs> we didn't do any camera technique nothing to do with TV or film. All your training was based on having a career in the theatre. Because as an actor in the past, that's what it was. Um, I think now probably they do have camera technique and everything. But So it did mean very much learning on the job. So first, although I'd done one episode of Brushstrokes, that was such a small role, when I then did First of the Summer Wine and was a regular in the two series, Mm. having never done anything before, it was a huge learning curve. the things that you do as an actor on stage, I always sort of think you, you tell the story from the start to the end on stage. Right. So it just, it flows. And whatever happens, that's why it can be a little bit different every night. I did find t- t- initially television much more technical because you may have shot a, an exterior scene three mm-hmm. or four weeks earlier and now you're doing the studio scene that either leads into it or out of it. So you have to remember the exact emotion. That would know, be confusing, yeah. It's all out of sequence, the continuity. There was a scene in Summer Wine where we had to sit on a park bench eating potted meat sandwiches like you did in the 1930s. <laughs> so, of course, I'd learnt the scene, I'd learnt the dialogue, and in, in my head I just ate the sandwich during the scene, which if that was on stage, that would be fine. But um, I had a continuity person, because, of course, you'll have your master shot, then you might have a close-up single, you might have a mid-two shot. And I had a continuity person running up to me saying, oh, no, you'd you'd taken another bite by then or, oh, no, you were still <laughs> chewing on that line. And I was thinking, oh, no, I didn't. 
I didn't think about that. I didn't want to have to think about that either. I just wanted to eat the sandwich oh, no. whilst I was acting. <laughs> and then I sort of suddenly had to learn, okay, I need to be very aware of every little thing I'm doing. So if you're picking up a drink, you need to know exactly where your fingers were on the glass, at what point you took a sip. So it did become initially a bit overwhelming that it was very technical and I thought as long as I stand up and sit down and walk and talk in the right places <laughs> the editor there can sort it out. And then of course out. years later um, people like us make these things called podcasts and we say actually if you see in the other camera she had eaten one bite but now it's she's had eaten three <laughs> and then these nerds on the internet do this so we on behalf of all nerds we apologize. <laughs> They do. They really do spot things. Yes. There's some huge, in, in sort of really big budget, incredible movies, people spot them, don't they? But um, <laughs> once I'd realised, I became quite good at keeping an eye on my own continuity rather than oh, somebody yeah. else having to come and tell me because I would want to be responsible for it. And I learned you sort of, you do less. <laughs> so you just maybe don't take a bite, you know, waft it about for a bit <laughs> and just take a bite when the other person's talking. <laughs> don't. There you go. Yeah, you've had, you've had quite the career uh, and quite... <laughs> the uh, experience uh, in front of the camera. Most recently, uh, this past spring, you were on Corey uh, uh, doing a guest bit there. What was that like? That was for the third time, actually, would you believe? Oh, wow. I first did it, um, I think it was 1997. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I was playing, very randomly for Coronation Street, I was playing a parachute instructor. Um, and I was training three or four of the regulars to do a parachute jump for charity. So it was, although I was in it, it wasn't really like being in the street because I didn't get to go on the cobbles. Aww. I was uh. in, a, in an aeroplane hangar most of the time, dressed up in a funny little suit with a very silly hat on my head, obviously, as the yeah. parachute, parachute instructor. And then I did it again in, I think it was around about 2004. And that was a lovely storyline. And I was the drama teacher for Chesney, who is one of the regular characters who's still in it. So it's oh, yeah, very yeah. sweet because he was quite a young boy now. And he's, he's then, sorry, and he's a man now. But it was a beautiful storyline where we were doing Romeo and Juliet. And the young boy that was playing Romeo had been really naughty and had robbed Rita's cabin and been oh, arrested. Not and Rita. The, and the scene started with, you know, I'm really sorry, everyone, we, we can't do it because we haven't got a Romeo. And one of the youngsters goes, Chesney will do it. <laughs> and, of course, Chesney was very shy Aww. and it was all very sweet and charming and it was lovely, but I still wasn't actually on the cobbles. So this you March... You have to be on the cobbles. I finally got Yay! to be on the cobbles and I, I managed to go in speed dial and eat yes. with Fizz in the, in the restaurant. <laughs> if you're ever in Manchester, you have to go take the tour. It's it, Of course, I, we've been turning all the Americans on to Corey and EastEnders and all of these things. It's a little hard for Americans to understand the impact of EastEnders and Corey. Uh, I'm a Corey guy. I think Mr. Jeff is a EastEnders person. I'm team EastEnders. Yeah. So. <laughs> I have done EastEnders as well, but only once. Um, whereas I've done Corey three times, Emmerdale five times. <laughs> but it was funny with EastEnders because when I auditioned for the role, it wouldn't have mattered where she was from. Mm. So I didn't have to have any concerns if, if my northern accent snuck out a little bit. Um, it wouldn't have been an issue. Mm. And then they changed it that I'd been at school with Gary Hobbs, who was one of the regulars. And I was like, if I've been at school with this guy, there's no way I can be a northerner. So I really need to make sure my northern vowel sounds don't pop out, <laughs> which is fine when I was acting, mm -hmm. because obviously I was doing scripted lines that I'd worked on. But when I was chatting as Joanne, as opposed to the character, it was when Shane Ritchie was in it. I don't know if you know who I mean by him. And he was behind yep. the bar. And of course, I was chatting to him and to... Um, 
gosh, I've forgotten the actor's name who played Gary Hobbs now. That's really bad of me. But anyway, we were just sort of chatting in a relaxed span, and at which point Shane goes, here, she's a northern bird. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very like, shush, East End to me. Shush, shush. <laughs> Because, of course, I was talking all like that, you know, oh, yeah, you know, my divorce has just come through when I was being Hayley. <laughs> so I was doing it all like that. Uh, and then, of course, I'd go, oh, you know, something, something. And they'd go, oh, no, she's northern. I was like, shush, I don't want the producers to panic. Oh, God. For some reason, I want to go get my laundry and put it in the laundrette down the street. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Oh, my gosh. So it's interesting. So, like... We've tried to express, like, the big impact of EastEnders and Corey. And, of course, we all, you know, we, we think that Are You Being Served and Grace and Favor is the number one hit television series of the entire planet. Uh, and everyone else is just wrong. <laughs> but a challenge for you, Joanne, if you're, if you're up for it. For okay. our Yankee American fans, listeners of the show, can you think of an American TV show that might kind oh. of be equal in terms of like the weight of Are You Being Served? For me, Frasier. Frasier. Ah, okay. I watched it and watched it and watched it. Yes, I had. Great show. Uh, not recently, but I had a phase where I just watched it the whole time. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I just thought all the characters in it were just brilliant. So I that, think that's that a brilliant comparison. That is very actually. good. You know, I think- because it because do, Fraser does have a, a cult following and has a core audience. Um, I have a tattoo on my arm of the New York City skyline, and uh, <laughs> it's a little abstract. And about half the people that like strangers that notice it be like, "Oh, are you a Fraser fan?" Like thinking that they've uh, 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 oh, discovered like the Golden goose, <laughs> right? Like, no, sorry, it's it's New York uh, City. Oh my god! Um, what are you watching on telly these days? I. I love murder mysteries. I do watch a lot of those mm. dramas. Um, probably give myself nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do them. I cannot. No. But I do tend to. I do tend to veer towards those. But I also watch a lot of stand-up comedy, just for a little bit of light relief. It's good to relief yourself these days because sometimes the world <laughs> is a little bit nuts. And yes. Um, I would be rem- I would be remiss if um, I didn't ask, and I sure I'm sure the listeners are are screaming at their their pod mich- podcast machines right now to for me to ask you, do you happen to know what happened to all of the props from the show? Did did they go into someone's handbag and they're on a on a bookcase somewhere? Oh, sadly, I've no idea. Mm. Um, you're now making me think I should have taken something with my left. I did actually get quite a few bits of costume. The, the costume designer, Mary Husband, was fabulous. Oh, yeah. And, of course, there was quite a good budget. And she took me shopping to the most amazing... I, I went to... There's a shop called Rigby and Pella, okay. which make ladies' undergarments, shall we say. Oh. And they are um, not seamstress to the queen. It wouldn't be the right word to say seamstress, but they are the <laughs> undergarment people. I can't think of the word, but to the queen, Rigby oh, and wow. Pella so, provide. Okay. Um, and a nighty that I wore in an episode, you may have remember the sort of the ghostly one. Oh yes, the outside with a lantern maybe. and yes, and all the furniture was moving and um, that was a ridiculous amount of money for a nighty, but it was stunningly beautiful. And then she took me to Harvey Nichols. I don't know if you know these department Harvey stores. Nichols. Oh, but yes. My Miss Lovelock's costumes were beautiful and expensive. I mean, all the riding gear was legitimate proper stuff, the little cravat, the jacket, everything. I didn't have that, but I had um, 
There was a lovely yellow suit mm. that Miss Lovelock had that I had. Uh-huh. Um, there was a little lilac-y, linen-y one that she let me have as well. Yeah. So I was able to take some costumes. There was a beautiful dress that was a small fortune that I wore in the pilot that was sort of um, tubular sequins. I called it the mm-hmm. mermaid dress because it just slinked Slinky, about. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was all different sort of blues and greens, and I'd said, could I have that? Because you can buy them at half price. Oh. But because that was because that was for the pilot, and that at that point they didn't know if it was going to series, she said, it'll need to go on the rail in case we go to series, but if we then go to series and you wear it again and then it's finished with, then you can have it. And somebody <gasps> took it because it disappeared, so I didn't get to get the dress. But props-wise, no, I don't know. I bet. I bet people did find <laughs> homes for them. But I think possibly at the point that the programme finished, we didn't know for sure it wasn't going ahead, so they would have all gone into store sure. ready. It would, it would have only have been when it finally came out that it definitely wasn't happening again, that uh, it would all get sort of broken, all the set would get broken up and everything. It's very sad. Oh, my heart <laughs> is breaking. <laughs> what was it like um, in your world? Because you're very connected with acting and... Um, you're over in the UK. What was it like when they announced, hey, we're going to bring Are You Being Served back? Because it was, I think, Jeff, you can remind me, it was kind of not being made for maybe eight, nine years. It wasn't a long time, but what was that? Was that just like, were there parades in every street like we imagined there would have been? Or <laughs> I'd love to tell you that, Mr. <laughs> it's Mr. Jeff. Brandon, it's a TV show, is what you w- can tell me if you want. Yeah, I just... Uh, I don't think until it was actually made and then announced that it was going to be aired. I don't think there was much fanfare. I certainly wasn't aware of it. I I wasn't aware of it. Well, we're petitioning to have a statue added (laughs) in front of Simpsons in Piccadilly. Blue plaque in front of yeah Simpsons in Piccadilly. Um, uh, We know that your we know that your the British Airways is now servicing the Northern Mississippi Airport, and so we keep the the vent aboard with all the flights going. We know that you've got to make your flight back relatively soon. So, uh, is there anything else that you want to share with the unanimous about your memories of the show, or uh, anything else that you'd like to tell us? Oh gosh, well, there's just so many lovely moments. Like I say, you know, the Molly as a giggler because. Being rude, but none of them were spring chickens when we shot right, it. Right, they were. They were and getting up there, yeah. she had a lot of physical stuff to do. There was a scene that you'll remember when she was in court, accused yep. of stealing a gypsy horse and cart, yep. Yep. and the judge had the line, hang the bird in the cellar, <laughs> at which point Molly had to do this fall. And she did it. Her, they didn't have a stunt double. They had a crash mat down. That's amazing. And she properly just went sideways. She didn't put her hand down, and the minute they'd shout, cut, of course... Everybody's running over to see if she's okay. Aww. And she's just lying on the floor giggling. Oh, that's so on, on one of the outtakes, um, Frank and Molly were in a horse and cart. It's while I was on the horse. It was the same time that he did the little wander off. Um, <laughs> and as Molly sat into this little horse and cart, it, the seat collapsed under her, which wasn't meant to happen. Uh-huh. That was a, a faulty seat. Uh, so again, of course, everybody ran over. This poor Molly's fallen. And again, she's lying in the bottom of this, just laughing her head off. <laughs> just, so battle axe comes to mind amazing. from Molly Sugden. <laughs> wow. She could do all her own stunts. She didn't need a stunt Aww. double. She was amazing. It's interesting because uh, I think most of our listeners probably, um, because um, are you being served in the States? Maybe you're not aware. Uh, public television, uh, PBS, is in every state in the States. 
Um, and it aired in the early 90s, I think, every Wednesday, every night for, at 10 o'clock, Monday through Friday. So there's this now this whole generation of people who grew up when they were, you know, 10 or 20 watching this show and now are you being served again? Uh, Grace and Favor comes out. As we've kind of gone through watching it the second time for the podcast, um, the, the storyline is great, but now I'm so much more focused on the actors and what were they like mm-hmm. and the craft of the acting. And it's so nice to see, especially in Grace and Favor, where you just sort of, you can just imagine that they're just enjoying themselves. Like they're having a yeah. good time. They like oh. the people they're working with. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The, the giggling and the retakes, they're just so many. There was, again, there was a scene where we had sheep. Do you remember that one? And John was sort of like in a cowboy outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, sheep, the sheep started to make noises like burping. This was the noise they were making. So, of course, they, everybody just started giggling. <laughs> we couldn't get any scenes out. And then I had a lovely little moment with... Um, with Frank, but I can't remember what the dialogue now is. But it does, it does, I, could, I should have looked it up so that I could remember for this for the outtakes because every time I tried to say it, I giggled. <laughs> but I sort of blamed Frank. Because <laughs> I kept saying, stop, stop looking at me like that. And he said, I'm, I'm not looking at you like anything, darling. You know, he was ter- terribly professional. But you know what it's like once you've started to giggle and stop. then you say the line and you get to the same point and you just collapse again. So I do remember that took, that scene took quite a while to get through <laughs> and since you inhabited uh you know the the you were the physical body for the character ms lovelock of course the writers helped as well um something that i'd love to ask and this is a little out there um because we got no third season and because you were the expert of this character you inhabited her <laughs> do you think what would you predict it would have happened to her character which is a long 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 shot question but i'm sure we'd love to know um, what you thought well, at the at the time, she was still living in the converted groom's quarters, much to the disgust of Miss Brabs and Mrs. Yes. Slope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, and I think she would have engineered moving in to one of the rooms oh, okay. and oh. annoying Miss Brabs and Mrs. Slocum even more because they didn't like the fact that she was there. They didn't think she should be there. But I, I seem to recall that I was a trustee of the fund, so uh-huh. right. Um, I you had to sign the all checks. the checks, so they yes, I had to sign all the checks, so they needed me. Um, so I just think she would have relished in annoying them even more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's a thing about women. Although having said that, maybe the converted grooms' quarters were much nicer than being in there with them. I don't know. I could, I could see a scene where, like, oh, you know, Miss Lovelock, if we converted the grooms' quarters to another uh, a suite, we'd make so much more money, and now they all have to share a room or something. We we can we can yes. spitball it all day. Can imagine that would not have gone down well if I we was sharing a room. <laughs> and uh, do you have anything coming up in, in uh, any acting things that you're excited to share that you I can do. share? I, well, I don't know if I've not been. I've been told I can't share on social media because it's not fully cast yet. Oh, but okay. I'm sure I can say it. it's a it's a pantomime, oh. um, and I'm playing the villain, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is simply the best role mm. to play because it's good to be bad. That's fun. <laughs> is this a is this a Christmas panto? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So, so everyone, please look for Joanne Haywood this Christmas. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as I'm allowed to, I'll be tweeting. But um, they have said they're not fully cast yet, so please don't share just yet. Right. So. Mum's the word, everyone. Don't yet. tell anyone. It's our secret. <laughs> if they wanted to find you um, on social media, how can they do that? Um, I'm quite f- easy to find, I think, because I'm at 
Miss Joanne Haywood on Twitter. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's the best place They to love find. you on Twitter. I was saying before, you're the queen of Twitter. <laughs> oh, thank very you. very nice. Well, I'm finding Twitter to be a lovely place. It's been, it's been nice sort of socially. It's been nice for work. I've made connections. That was the point of joining, yeah. um, you know, to connect and meet people. And you, you find out about work on there bizarrely so and we were able yeah, to find you great. and you you were nice enough to join our podcast so thank you very much that's so sweet of you. <laughs> thank you oh, so much for taking how time could out I of your miss night it? for us <laughs> all right well you're we have a bus the bus is coming back to take you back to northern mississippi airports and we don't want you to miss your bus so ms haywood joanne <laughs> thank you so much thank you it's been an absolute joy as we always say mr brandon you've, you've all, all done, done very, very well. well yes <laughs> and I'm unanimous. Oh, that. that was a bonus. <laughs> she was on the series, you can tell. All right. Thank you so much Thank again. Thank you. Bye. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well.